The Lord be with you. And also with you. Lift up your hearts. We lift them up to the Lord. We gather for ordered worship in this beautiful sunlit nave in the spirit of Charles Wesley, who wrote, Unite the two so long disjoined, learning and vital piety. The liturgy, music, and homily are offered for our gathered congregation here in Marsh Chapel for our radio congregation across New England at WBUR 90.9 FM and for our internet listenership around the globe at WBUR.org. We welcome your prayerful and your material support, your written or emailed responses, your decisions, and many are making them in this season about ministry in our midst, and as the Spirit moves, your presence with us come Sunday. For we would see Jesus early in the morning, still as of old he calleth, follow me. Let us arise, all meaner service scorning. Lord, we are thine, we give ourselves to thee. This is the day the Lord has made. We shall rejoice to be glad in it. As we are able, may we stand in the praise of God.
Together, may we pray. Give us grace, O Lord, to answer readily the call of our Savior, Jesus Christ, and to proclaim to all people the good news of his salvation, that we and the whole world may perceive the glory of his marvelous works, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Please be seated. This day we may perhaps begin with a personal or a pastoral word. We were raised, many of us, under the shadow of the proverb, anything worth doing is worth doing well, a worthy word. But it needs the balance of another epigram we might compose ourselves about giving, and that is that anything worth giving is worth giving imperfectly. That is, giving of those things that matter most, love, hope, faith, even in the simple suggestion, come with me to worship on Sunday. We don't always get the pitch perfect, and we don't always have the form precise. Anything worth giving, though, is worth giving imperfectly. So the poet said, ring the bells that still can ring. Forget your perfect offering. There is a crack in everything. That's how the light gets in. That's how the light gets in. As the choir sings our Kyrie, we listen for divine pardon. Let us pray.
thou who greets our striving for perfection with the gift and grace of wholeness and so calls us to be holy. Grant us thy pardon and thy peace. Amen. Beloved, if we confess our sin, God who is faithful and just will forgive our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Thanks be to God. A lesson from Paul's first epistle to the Corinthians, chapter 7, verses 29 through 31. I mean, brothers and sisters, the appointed time has grown short. From now on, let even those who have wives be as though they had none, and those who mourn as though they were not mourning, and those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing, and those who buy as though they had no possessions, and those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it for the present form of this world is passing away. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
us join together in reading verses from Psalm 62 with the Antiphon. My soul waits in silence, for my hope is from him. God alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be shaken. On God rests my deliverance and my honor. My mighty rock, my refuge is in God. Trust in God at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before God who is a refuge for us. Those of low estate are but a breath. Those of high estate are a delusion. In the balances, they go up. They are, together, lighter than a breath. Put no confidence in extortion, and set no vain hopes on robbery. If riches increase, do not set your heart on them. Once God has spoken, Twice have I heard this, that power belongs to God. And to you, O God, belongs steadfast love, for you repay to all according to their work. for the singing of the Gloria Patri and the reading of our gospel. Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to St. Mark, chapter 1, verses 14 through 20. Glory to you, O Lord. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came to Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. As Jesus passed along the Sea of Galilee, 
he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fish for people. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. As he went a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, who were in their boat mending the nets. Immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise Praise to you, Lord Christ.
Please be seated. At first light, we see Jesus walking the shore of his beloved Galilee. He who is the first light sets out at dawn as the fishermen begin casting and mending. The stylized memory from the mind of Mark kindles our own memory and hope too. At first light, daybreak carries a power unlike any other hour's hue. The excitement of beginning, the promise of another start, the crisp, cold opening of a new year in January. Like the skier, mitts and poles at the ready, we adjust our goggles and we lean. Here is Jesus, midway between Christmas and Easter, from manger to cross, from nativity to passion. And along the shoreline he strides, one foot in sea and one foot on shore, and he makes two invitations. First, he meets two brothers at first light, and they meet him, God's own first light, the light that shines in the darkness. Now, notice how Simon, called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, are sketched. There is little to nothing of history here, but what there is says so much. There is no parental shadow lying on their fishing nets. One hears no maternal imperative, no paternal dictate. These boys are on their own. They have left home already, maybe leaving the city to the south to find a meager middle-class existence with their own means of production. They are small businessmen, boat owners, fishermen. Neither the Amha'arets nor the landed gentry, they, not poor, not rich, working stiffs, young, young men. Simon already has a nickname, a sign of joviality, conviviality, gregarious, playful fun. Peter, the rock. Is this for his steady faithfulness or his failure to float on this rock or sinks like a rock? You sense that these brothers, Peter and Andrew, play in the surf a little, kick up the sand a little, ogle the Palestinianas a little, take time to take life as it comes. Brown are their forearms and burnished their brows. They love the lake and they love life and they have already made their entrance into adult life, for they have left home. One envies their youth and their freedom. They have taken to the little inland sea of Galilee, and with joy they meet each dawn, like this one at first light, as they see light. You can feel the sand under their feet as they take a moment to play and laugh. You can feel the chill of the water as they swim, while breakfast cooks over the fire. You can feel their feeling of vitality and joy as they greet another day at first light. I wonder whether we allow ourselves to drift a little too far from that first light feeling. Those pure moments of rapturous illumination. Your first child Tiny, red, crinkled, fists waving, crying, and then asleep, literally, in your hand. First light. Your daughter or son taking vows of confirmed faith in the church. 
Yes, there was some part child and another part adult in what was said, but there they were, in tie and dress, in public and in church. They murmured piously together with others. And how did that feel, Mom, Dad, first light? Your day of matrimony, down the aisle, you come, do you? I do. Do you? I do. They do. And what was once a simpler world now has further complexity and creative power. A new creation, first light. There must have been some moment, sometime, when you felt an intimacy with the universe, a closeness, a sense of purpose. And that too is a kind of daybreak, first light. We get too far away from the dawn if we're not careful. Faith is trust, a simple trust like those who heard beside the Syrian sea. I was told by my dear, now deceased, gone to glory friend Rod Wilmoth, how I love his memory. Told of a boy who goes to a winter vacation with his parents in Florida, enjoyed Rod's short, funny stories. They set the boy loose on the swimming pool and after, excuse me, before diving, he went around the cement shoreline like a latter-day Jesus on a latter-day lake, asking one person and then another the same question to each adult. To the first, are you a Christian? And the response, no, I, I don't really go to church. To the next, are you a Christian? Well, I go on Christmas and Easter. I mean, I was there last month, but you know, I don't read the Bible or anything like that. Are you a Christian? You know, I used to be, but I kind of got away from it. So many other things. And at last, to a fourth, are you a Christian? And an older man brought the reply he was looking for to the boy. He said, why, yes, I was baptized in youth and later made a moment of confirmation. I try to get to church every Sunday. I wouldn't miss it. I tithe, I give away 10% of what I earn each year, not all to the church, but I privilege the church because it's the seedbed of future uh, morality and generosity and wonder. I try to keep faith with my family and friends. Yes, I think I'm a Christian, but if you don't mind my asking, why are you asking? And he replied, well, sir, I want to go swimming, and I have two quarters here in my shorts, and..." I wanted someone I could trust to hold them while I took a dip. You know, our malaise, our ennui, our asadia, spiritual sloth or indifference, literally our not caring, so often is due to our turning away from the first light, daybreak, that eternal experience of love that energizes everything else. Peter and Andrew are casting nets. They have no furrowed brows, no endless worries, no pessimism, no angst. They probably have left unattended some holes in the nets, these two happy brothers. They are willing to accept that their casting will be imperfect as all giving, all evangelism is imperfect. But that imperfection will not keep them from enjoying the labor of casting. To miss the first light is to miss the fun of faith, sometime. Invite that neighbor, the one across the street whose porch light is always on, to worship with you. Sometime invite that roommate, 
the one who sleeps every Sunday till 5.30 in the afternoon, to worship with you. Here at dawn, those first stirrings, first longings, first intimations of something new and good. Meanwhile, back on the beach, Jesus heads south, cove by cove, with Andrew and Peter now frolicking in tow. You remember, they had already left home. They're ready to take a flyer on something new, a new trek, not fully sure how it will work out. It is a miracle that they are remembered, perhaps with a little hagiography, as having responded immediately. Still, every little scrap of memory of these two brothers tends in the same direction, full of vim, vigor, vitality, and pepperino, they. Yes, they will follow. But Jesus is about to make a second invitation, not to them, but to others. Not to the defiant, but to the compliant. Not to the independent, but to the dependent. Not to the strong, but to the weak. Not to the secular, but to the religious. For down the shoreline a little, there rests another boat. A different story, a different set of brothers all together, James and John, known as the sons of Zebedee. Now Simon had already earned his own name and nickname, but these two are known by their father's name. They haven't left home. They have not yet acquired that second identity. And here they are, as usual, at dawn, stuck in the back of the boat. All these years they have watched the Peter and Andrew show. All these years they've envied the fun and the frolic down the beach, late night parties, bonfires, singing, swimming. And here they sit strapped to the old boat of old Zebedee. They're covered with the ancient equivalents of chapstick and copper tone. And more to the point, they're trapped under the glaring gaze of Zebedee, whose thunderous voice has so filled their home that their own voices haven't yet emerged. Every day the same in the back of the boat. And what are they doing? Why, you could have guessed it, even if the text had not made it as plain as the nose on your face. Even plainer, as plain as the nose on my face. Are they casting? No. Are they fishing yet? No. Are they sailing? No. They're mending. Ah, mending. Knit one, pearl two. Their dad has got them into that conservation, protection, preservation mode, that worst side of church-going mode, mending. At first light, can you imagine it? Of course, nets need mending. But the nets and the mending are meant in a greater service. The fun is in the fishing. The joy is in the casting. And there they sit, two sober souls, looking for a bad time, if a bad time can be had, mending in the morning. Here we are, midway between Christmas and Easter, midway between Passion and Nativity. This is a crucial moment for the ministry of Marsh Chapel. It involves our saving balance right now. The two stories of Jesus, of his birth and of his death, 
are meant to complement and interpret each other. Today, the third Sunday of Epiphany, we need to seize and be seized by the life story of Jesus, the Prince of Peace. Here he is. Jesus' life is a pronouncement of a broad peace on earth, on earth, with Gandhi along the Ganges, beside Tutu on the Southern Cape, along the path of the Dalai Lama in Tibet, in Tegucigalpa with our friends Lynn and Mark Baker. This is no quietism like that which has so suddenly taken over so much of American Christianity from its seedbeds in the Orthodox Calvinist and Anabaptist communions, cold, careful, efficient, first mile, changeless, fearsome, depressed grace. This is Christmas to Epiphany, warm, open, effective, second mile, free, growing, angry, and hopeful. Hope, said Augustine, has two beautiful daughters, anger and courage. The early church told two stories about Jesus, the first about his death, the second about his life. The first about the cross is the oldest and most fundamental. The second about the manger is the key to the meaning of the first. The eyeglasses which open full sight, the code to decipher the first. Jesus died for our sins according to the scripture. That is the first story. But who was Jesus? What life did his death complete? How does his word heal our hurt? And how does all this accord with scripture? One leads to the other, and you need them both, Marsh Chapel. You need them both, New England. You need them both, America. It takes two wings to fly. This second, second level story begins at Christmas and is told among us to interpret the first. Epiphany is the time to tell it and to tell it out loud. The life story, Christmas on, is meant to make sure that the divine love is not left only to the cross or only to heaven. Christmas is meant to open out a whole range of Jesus as brother, healer, teacher, young man, all. Christmas and Epiphany are meant to provide the mid-course correction that might be needed if all we had were wholly weak. And the Christmas images are the worker bees in this theological hive. Easter may announce the power of peace, but Christmas names the place of peace. Jesus died the way he did because he lived the way he did. Jesus lived the way he did so that he could die the way he did. That is, it is not only the passion of Christ but the peace of Christ too, which you affirm. And what lovely news. Such a passionate year we have had. And now comes this season again and the story of Jesus at first light again to announce that there is more to Jesus than his passion. There is the matter of his peace as well. 
There is more to Jesus than his death. There is the matter of his life as well. The real miracles of this account lie in the second invitation to the second set of brothers. To you? It is a miracle that Jesus stopped and invited them, so somber are they. I wonder if he took in the timber of Zebedee's voice and saw them quaking in the back of the boat. Perhaps his heart went out to James and to John. So he stops and he asks. And he stops this morning to ask you, especially if you are quiet in the back of the boat, still cringing, say, under the booming stentorian parental voice more paternalistic than paternal. You know, for a while you can hide out pretty well in church if you decide to. Church can be an excellent place to hide out from life. Here he is, inviting you. Follow me. That's the great thing about an invitation. All you can do is ask, so do ask. You have not because you ask not. And for the first time in their lives, James and John are invited to live. So many people live life half asleep in the back of the boat. They don't live life. Life lives them. Like these two, knitting in the back of the boat, half asleep. And then... Dawn breaks, and a voice like no other, so equanimous and so serene, casts its spell upon them. Watch! It is a first light moment. First one, then the other stands and moves under the shadow of that harsh paternalistic presence, under the sound of that sour maternalistic imperative of home. They arise, and they move toward first light. They are growing up. They are growing up. Wonderful. And what did they leave behind? Well, you would have known even if the scripture had not laid it out right right before you. They leave behind the boat and their father. We best honor the adults in our lives when we become adults ourselves. We best honor adults in our lives when we become adults ourselves ourselves. And how about this world? Will we ever grow up? Will we find a way to live together, all six billion of us, to drink from the same cup? This text is strangely like the Gospel of John, for it claims for Jesus that Jesus is light. Not color now, light. Color's good and great, But we all finally want to be able to drink from the same water fountain. We want our children to be able to go to the same school. We want to sit at one table. We want to drink from one goblet. It is light that we shall need in the 21st century. Not color, light. For we are finally all meant to drink from the same cup. I love these little stories Don Harp told me once before he retired, this little humorous moment. He claimed it was true, but I don't know. It might have been stylized memory. A man stopped in his new neighborhood to buy lemonade from 
a freckle-faced seven-year-old girl and a mahogany-skinned six-year-old boy. He paid his dime and he drank his beverage and he stayed to talk. And after a while, the girl asked if there was anything else he wanted. No, he said. Why? She said, well, sir, uh, we're running a business here. We've had a busy morning. We hope for a busy afternoon. But that cup you're holding is the only one we have. So if you don't mind, we'd like it back. One cup. Light, not color. We forget it at our worldly peril. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. Lord, give us light, not just passion, but peace too. Not just death, but life too. Not just Lent, but epiphany too. You're not meant to live in Lent or Advent. You get ready in Advent and Lent. You're meant to live in life, in light, in forgiveness, acceptance, transcendence, dare we say it, love. Are we lovers anymore? The challenge of the 21st century is not found at the color line, but at first light. We all survived the birth canal and so have a native survivor's guilt. All six billion of us, we have so much in common. We all need daily two things, bread and a name. One does not live by bread alone. All six billion. We all grow to a point of separation, leaving home, a second identity, all six billion. We all love our families, children, homes, grandchildren, all six billion. We all age, and as my friend says, after 40, don't we know it? It's maintenance, 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 all six billion. We all shuffle off this mortal coil en route to that undiscovered country from whose born no traveler returns. All six billion. Would you like to have come alive this coming week? To have some fun? Look around for the dawn breaking and kick up some sand, for Jesus calls you at first light.
come now to a time in our service when we turn our hearts and minds to prayer and lift up our lives and ourselves to God. Please assume an attitude of, or posture of prayer by either remaining seated, standing, kneeling, or coming to the communion rail as we sing together our call to prayer, Lead Me, Lord. Dear God, as we enter into this new semester, we sometimes find ourselves at a loss for words. We are busy getting back into the routine of reading and studying and working. We can't keep track of the world around us. And so we offer this prayer for our world, for our leaders, our families, our friends, and yes, our enemies. We pray that you move, as you always have, and always will. And now, with the confidence of the children of God, we are bold to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen.
The peace of the Lord be always with you. We greet you once, a morning, once again this morning to the Nave of Marsh Chapel, and we hope you'll take a moment to put your name and contact information in the red books found along the center aisle of each pew and to pass the pad along to your neighbor so that we can get to know you better and help you get to know one another better throughout the coming week. We welcome this morning our guest organist, Mr. Nathan Skinner, a Master of Sacred Music student at the School of Theology specializing in organ. Uh, his presence this morning is necessitated by the fact that our uh, music, assistant music director, Mr. Justin Thomas Blackwell, is in Texas uh, helping to celebrate the ordination of our former chapel associate, now the Reverend David Romanick, and we send out our congratulations and best wishes to him this morning. We would note that all of our regular upcoming, our upcoming services and activities are back in full swing now as the semester has begun, and we'd encourage you to take a look to the chapel website, bu.edu slash chapel, for all of those details as, long as, the, as well as the opportunity for online giving. Now walk in love as Christ loves us, an offering and sacrifice to God.
God, whose bounty we have received in the light of the life of Christ Jesus, use our offerings for the service of your kingdom. Amen. Support us all the days of our troublous life until the shadows lengthen and the evening comes and the busy world is hushed and the fever of life is over and our work is done. Then in thy mercy grant us a safe rest, a happy lodging, and peace at the last. Through the same Jesus Christ, our Lord, we pray. Amen. <laughs> 